Your sports news podcast on Unbenched. Breaking the glass ceiling through sports. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Ballbusters, episode 12. We're thriving. I'm sitting on my floor watching Denmark and Belgium. It's it's a whole vibe. Everyone else is in their usual locations. So let's say hi to everyone from their usual locations. Everyone sitting in a chair because they're responsible adults. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> now I speak because they've spoken at the same time. Good morning, everyone. All right. So as I said, I'm watching the game. So if you hear intermittent screaming, um, it's me. And I will take full responsibility and do as watching the game through the reflection of my microphone. So speaking of the game, we're going to dive right in this week because we've got a lot to talk about. The NFL is still a wasteland with absolutely nothing worth discussing. So we're still going to talk about football, but it's going to be the European kind. We are going to talk about the Euro Cup for my segment today. I've got two quick little updates and then we've got some discussion bits. I feel like I'm an English teacher organizing like an essay and being like, hi, like let's do short answers and then some discussion questions. Um, anyways, so one of the first things I wanted to bring up, and if you guys have like seen these, like for sure interject, but through the first round of group matches so for through the first like seeing every team play once there have been three own goals which is the same total as the entire last tournament and you kind of had the feeling that this could have been the case when the first goal of the tournament was an own goal scored by turkey uh, when they were playing italy thankfully that one was like pretty inconsequential because italy went on to win that one pretty handedly the next one poland's goalie scored in his own net before his team went down to 10 men and lost so that was just a comedy of errors all around and then the third own goal that we've seen so far has been Mats Hummel scoring the game winner against France the only goal of that game was an own goal and that group is the group of death because we've got France Portugal and Germany and Hungary but like no disrespect to Hungary. There's absolutely no way they get out of that group when you've got three of the world powers there. But in a game between Germany and France where obviously points are at a premium and especially getting through as like a third place team could prove super difficult if you're gonna drop games like that. Uh, losing on an own goal is heartbreaking, especially given when Germany's attack did create tons of chances for themselves, they just couldn't finish. Um, but Mats Hummels did kind of redeem himself later on in the game, super close to stoppage time with probably one of the best slide tackles I have ever seen on Kylian Mbappe. Granted, it would have been inconsequential if you win one nothing, 2 nothing. it doesn't really matter. Um, but he came back, he got smoked by Mbappe on a foot race and then managed to slide tackle Mbappe in the box. He got his foot through Mbappe's legs and made contact with ball wasn't a penalty you can obviously people are going to shout for penalty because Mbappe fell down but it was a clean tackle it was a work of art it should be studied in soccer academies moving forward um so yeah I want to know if you guys have a hypothesis for how many own goals we're going to see by the end of the tournament given that we've already seen three through the first 12 games we'll we'll revisit this when the tournament ends and whoever was closest can get like a prize or something 
Okay, so how many games are left approximately? Do you know? Lots. So at least, at least like 30. Okay. Um, I mean, at this rate, I'll say we're due for another three at least. <laughs> okay. Okay. So is your final answer going to be six? Yes. Okay. Do a. I'm going to take a wild guess. Probably okay. wrong. But I don't do anything ordinary. So I'm going to go with the big number nine. Okay. I know that's a lot, but I just feel like at the rate we're going, it's very much possible. Okay. Honestly, you say that's a lot. I was going to go even bolder. And like, this is going to sound like I'm pulling like a price is right move on Dua um, just to be like, I'm going to be the closest, but I think we're going to hit double digits. I think we're going to hit 10. Um, just with like the way that the ball is finding the back of the net, regardless of who touches it, I really wouldn't be surprised if there are 10 own goals in this tournament, hopefully. And I mean, coming from someone who played soccer, like we're, we're laughing and we're smiling. Own goals can suck. Like when you put one in your own net, there is absolutely no worse feeling. They do feel a little bit better when they're not the game winning goal. Matt Tummels, we're looking at you. So hopefully not too many of these goals are going to directly impact the outcome. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go big and bold and say we're going to hit double digits. So check back with us after July 11th and we'll see who was closest and we'll figure out a prize or we'll just have bragging rights for our egos because that works too. Um, anyways, one other little update, and this is like going to go into like maybe a little bit of a tangent. We'll see. So Cristiano Ronaldo set the record for most career goals at a Euro tournament in the 87th minute with a penalty shot against Hungary. And sure, you can be like, eh, like you got it on a penalty shot. It doesn't really count. Well, he scored five minutes later. So he then added to his total. Uh, at the Euro, so he is now the all-time leading scorer in this tournament, which, cool, good for you. Full disclosure, I don't like Cristiano Ronaldo. I think he's very egotistical, and he infuriates me to, like, the depths of my soul. But anyways... He also has a bunch of uh, sexual assault allegations against him, yeah. so he can go burn in hell. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, not not my favorite athlete. But... Everyone is saying that by the end of this tournament, he's going to be the all-time international goal-scoring leader because currently he sits at 106 for his tally. And with, you have to figure Portugal has at least three games left. If he scores a goal a game, he's going to equal it. If not, he can tie um, Ali Day from Iran, who's at the top of the list with 109. So that's like a big thing that the media has picked up on. It's like, okay, we can see like a new king of international goal-scoring and he can Obviously, with um, Ali having retired from the international game, his total is not going to go up. So we can see Ronaldo really run away with this. Now, I feel the need to remind um, the media who are praising Ronaldo as some goal-scoring god that he, in fact, will not be the international goal-scoring leader until he scores 80 more goals because the current actual top international goal scorer is Captain Canada herself, Christine Sinclair, and her 186 international goals. Um, there's no real excuse for anyone sitting there being like, oh, like he's going to be the top. No, he's not going to be the top international goal scorer. That, that doesn't 
no, absolutely not. So I think that's something that the media, honestly, like, I don't think there's an excuse for. Because even when they talk about he's going to be the top international goal scorer, like they don't specify gender, but I guarantee you everyone's going to discredit Sinclair by being like, oh, but she's the top women's goal scorer. And it's like, well, if you can put the ball in the back of the net, you can put the ball in the back of the net. And Sinclair has shown the ability to do that almost at will for Canada. And it's been fantastic to watch. I still remember when she passed Abby Wambach and the entire country celebrated, the entire world celebrated her. And now suddenly we forget that she's like completely run away with it. Like, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know how long Ronaldo has left. I don't really pay attention to his career. Is it impossible that he scores 80 more goals? It's not impossible. It's highly unlikely, but it's not impossible. But until he hits 187, and that's if Christine Sinclair never scores an international goal ever again, he is not the top international goal scorer. So I kind of want to get your guys' opinion on that discourse that we're seeing. It's not like something that's been super forefront yet, but I guarantee you by the end of the tournament, if Ronaldo keeps scoring, then we're going to be having this conversation. And I kind of want to get your guys' early thoughts on the matter. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, with everything, they kind of set men's sports as the default, which is like just not the case. And, you know, whenever you bring up the fact that, oh, but a woman is doing this, you know, people start to get all defensive and it's like, it doesn't make any sense. So until we like, we actually have to keep saying like men's and women's together because this, this idea that men are the default is just wrong you can see it through the posts that pages are saying, like they're already saying that he's going to pass whatever, whatever to be the international uh, goal scorer, but they are completely discrediting uh, Christine Sinclair and what she's done. So I think we need to keep pushing this narrative and kind of going against the fact that men are the default. No, for sure. Like I completely agree with that. I think this just speaks to the conversation that we've been having for so long is that people need to stop discrediting women's sports and we can say that as much as we want but will it actually happen hopefully but it's a hell of a fight and this is just one part of it discrediting christine sinclair is so disrespectful and the fact that you can use the argument that she's but she's a woman then say it's the men's like whatever whatever and she's the women's you know like like don't call him the best of all time because that's not what's true yeah I think that's what this comes down to and obviously like this is the example that we're giving but it's true in, in all sports if you're gonna gender the women then gender the men and the way that we're not it's like it's either you're talking about everyone or add because when people add the women in women's sports it feels like a caveat it feels like an asterisk when it's not and I feel like this is a conversation that yeah we can have it and we can go in circles and we can talk about it until we're blue in the face but until people start realizing the impacts of what they're doing then we're going to be here a long ass time so that's that on that um I know that was like a little bit ranty, but at the same time, uh, that's what we do. So if you don't like it, click off. But if you don't like it, I don't know why you would have been here in the first place. Anyways, now for something a little bit more 
sensitive and um, kind of bigger than the game, uh, Christian Erickson and what we saw him and the entire country of Denmark, the Finland team, what we've seen the entire international community go through with his um, cardiac arrest that he experienced on the field last week in his team's opening game against Finland. So if you have no idea what I'm talking about, um, A, congratulations for having successfully avoided Twitter for a week. Please send me your tips and tricks. But Christian Eriksson collapsed on the field out of nowhere. He wasn't hit. He wasn't, he didn't fall. He didn't, there was nothing. He played a pass back to a defender and fell forward. And obviously everyone collectively stopped breathing because what the fuck did we just see? We just saw a guy out of nowhere just collapse. And that's not something we're used to seeing, especially if he's not going to be hit in the head first. So the team doctors obviously rushed onto the field. Massive credit. One of the unsung superheroes of the day would be the ref who also immediately halted play, called for medical attention. The Finnish players called for medical attention. And one of the most, I think, heartwarming, but also heartbreaking scenes is the uh, Danish lineup forming a shield around Ericsson while he received chest compressions so he could have his privacy. And we know we now know that they did bring a defibrillator onto the field and they had to use it. The team doctor came out of a press conference, I think it was the day after, and said, we got him back after one defib. But he did lose his pulse. He did not have a pulse. And the team doctors saved his life. And we all watched that happen on national TV. And we're going to get into this later, but I am so thankful that we didn't see it all over the media. But again, that's another topic. So it was later confirmed, obviously, he was taken to the hospital. He was awake and conscious when he left the field. He gave everyone the thumbs up that we see across all sports when people get shuttered off. Um, he went to the hospital and it was later confirmed that he did suffer from a cardiac arrest on field and he was going through further examinations and testing to try and figure out what the heck happened because this is a guy who passes physical exams for all the top clubs in the world. Like this isn't someone who's out of shape and we still don't know kind of like what happened. He has been given uh, essentially like a pacemaker device um, implanted after the procedure. And it was something that he agreed to do after top experts, both nationally in Denmark and internationally all agreed that this is the best course of treatment just because it does keep the heart regular. And obviously there's something there that caused the heart to beat irregularly. It's how heart attacks work or so I'm told. Um, so that's kind of the update on him. What I want to talk about is a couple things in this. So one, should they have continued to play? Because both teams retook the pitch approximately three to four hours after this happened. I also want to touch on just the classiness of football fans and the football community worldwide in terms of other clubs, other countries. Um, but yeah, so the teams were, so obviously the game was suspended, called off, stopped because, you know, someone just had a heart attack. And then it was, so this was the 12 p.m. game. So if you guys like haven't been following Euros super closely, the games are typically 9 a.m., 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. So this was a 12 p.m. game and they restarted play at, I believe, 
either 2 p.m. Eastern or 3 p.m. Eastern, which, you know, is not that long to process what happened. And what we ended up finding out as the public was they were given two options by UEFA. And UEFA said, players, make the decision yourselves. They were given full control over whether they were going to go back or not. But their options were either play the game, like restart the game when it was played, so later that afternoon, or play at noon the next day. So essentially play 24 hours later. And this, obviously in the moment, everyone was like, wow, good, the players are getting to decide. I think what people failed to realize in the moment was the players had just witnessed an incredibly traumatic event. Even the Finnish players, like there's, sure, it's not the same trauma as he's one of my best friends, but you just watched a guy have his life saved on the field. That's not something you witness every day. And for the Danish players, you just watched your captain, your best friend, or I don't actually think he captained them in that game, but so cut that out. Um, but you just watched your star player, your best friend, die on the field and be brought back. You are in no headspace to be making any form of decision, let alone, okay, crap, do we go back out to play? And we ended up finding out that Christian Eriksen actually FaceTimed his teammates from the hospital and said he wanted them to continue playing. Now, what people are saying is that UEFA should have made the decision on their own because clearly nobody involved is going to be in the right headspace. And the Danish coach even came out the next day and said he thought it was a mistake that they kept playing. And obviously he's met with the criticism of, well, you chose to play. And when your options are shitty option A or shitty option B, I think you have a complete and total right to be upset with the outcome, regardless of which one you quote unquote chose. And something else people are pointing out that I don't think anyone really realized in the moment, but we all figured out a few days later, if a player is found out to be COVID positive right before, during, or during a game, there's a 48-hour respite period. So they don't have to start playing again for another two days. A player has a heart attack and dies on the field and is brought back to life. And they aren't even given the option of a full day to rest and recuperate and process. How does that make sense? So where do you guys stand on the idea of they kept playing, the options they were given, the players were able to make the decision? What, what are we thinking? What are we feeling? I mean, I have so much respect for those teams and the fact that they were able to continue playing. Like, like you said, like that's such a small amount of time to be able to process what just happened. And you're right. Like now that I think about it, to put that decision on the players, like they were in no headspace to be making that kind of decision. And if you have that much time allotted for COVID related issues, then surely in a life or death situation, you can apply those same rules. So it is a little bit weird. And I, and I do wish that they would have had more leeway with deciding like when they could play. Um, but this is just a situation that you never want to see happen. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that he's okay now because that was very scary. No. Yeah. I completely agree. I think my thing is it was a lose, lose situation. If UEFA decided there would be heat as to why the players weren't given the option to decide the players decided that they're not in the headspace to make that decision. And I think that's where you come to the point where you say, oh, well, you have 
48 hours for COVID-related reasons, which are serious, but a lot less serious than someone dying on the field and being have to like brought been brought back to life, you know? So if they can give you 48 hours for that, why were you given either three hours or like two hours or whatever, or 24 hours, you know? I think that wasn't right on the part of UEFA and like giving them those options. So yeah, that's just my take. Yeah. And I think that's like what it comes down to is you clearly, you have the means and you have the like backup plans in place to give teams two days. And sure, nobody in their right mind up until now is mentally preparing for this kind of situation, the kind of situation that we saw. That's not something that you're expecting to ever have to deal with as an organizing body. But the fact that because of circumstance, the measures were in place, why weren't they adapted? And obviously like it's done now, but I think this is a really interesting lesson moving forward in terms of how our tournament's going to get medical emergency contingency plans kind of worked into what they've got going on because clearly we need it. Um, and I think obviously in nowhere in this did we mention the result. Denmark ended up losing that game and it wasn't for lack of trying. They had a penalty shot saved and I think everyone made an excellent point at the end. The result was approximately the least important thing to come out of that game. Like I, I don't think the players really cared that they lost. The fact that they were able to go out and play really good football is a win in and of itself and I don't think anyone should ever fault them for that part of that. But anyways, moving on from the should they have played to the play that went on both afterwards and since and kind of the way we've seen the football world react. So there are a couple different scenes that really kind of hit home in terms of how fantastically the football world and community is. So firstly, when the game was suspended, the fans stayed because they were, they were asked to, to stay while they kind of figured out like what was going on. And this game was in Denmark. So uh, in case you missed it, like this, the tournament is happening in 11 countries, whereas typically it'll happen in one host country. This time they're having like a pan-European tournament. So this game was in Denmark, in Copenhagen, which is... I mean, given what happened, great, because Ericsson was able to go to the hospital with his dad, with his wife, and have kind of like his home base be right there. But obviously, that also means that the nearly full stadium was nearly full of Danish fans, but being so close to Finland, there was a lot of Finnish fans there as well. During the stoppage, when nothing was going on and everyone was kind of just sitting there, the Finnish fans started chanting Christian. And if you haven't seen this video, please go find it. It's on the TSN Instagram. I'm sure you can find it on Twitter somewhere. But the Finnish fans started chanting Christian and the Danish fans would answer with Ericsson. And I have never gotten goosebumps so quickly from a sport video because it was an entire stadium coming together for this player that, and it was the other team that started it. And when we're kind of inundated with, the toxicity of Leafs Nation or NBA fans spitting on players to see that 
was so refreshing. And I think that was a perfect encapsulation of what sport is about. You hate your opponent when the game is going on, but after the game is over, when you're a fan, it's like, okay, your team lost, let me buy you a beer. It, it ends with the whistle. And I think that's what we saw here is we saw really what makes this the beautiful game. And we continue to see that when Erickson was stretchered off the field. If you've seen those pictures of like where he's getting his thumbs up, you'll notice that he's kind of covered in sheets. So there's a group of players walking around him like for privacy. And then it looks like some people are holding up these like big white sheets um, again to give him privacy. If you look closer, the white sheets are Finnish flags. It's the two or three flags of Finland that were handed to the players by fans who were sitting in that front row so they could shield him for privacy. Not Danish flags, not, it was the opponent's flags. And again, that just shows the thing about the sport that everyone calls it the beautiful game and the world's game is it doesn't matter at the end of the day, like what color you're wearing, like they're able to acknowledge that these are people. And this is a person who just went through an incredibly traumatic event and a team who just went through an incredibly traumatic event. And something else that we'll like briefly touch on, but doesn't really need to be discussed. His wife was at the game. She watched all that happen. And they found her in the stands and they brought her down to the field. And there's a shot of her being consoled by the Danish captain and the Danish keeper. And just the way that everyone has also embraced her through all of this, through having to witness this. They have two kids together. I think that was also really heartwarming. And then we've also seen beyond the fans, we've seen even other teams. The day that it happened, everybody in the sports world, not just soccer, Montreal Canadiens sent their well wishes to Christian. Clubs, countries around the world in the tournament, not in the tournament, everyone was sending, putting out social statements, putting out little videos. And we've seen it from the players, Romelu Lukaku, who plays with uh, Ericsson uh, with their club team, ran up to his, the TV camera after he scored in the game that was immediately following that and dedicated the goal to Chris. He said, Chris, Chris, I love you. And when Austria played the next day, when their players would score goals, someone threw them a shirt from the sideline and they would hold it up like a little flag and it said, get well, Christian. Finland warmed up yesterday in warm-up shirts that said, get well, Christian. There's a video put out today of captains from all the teams in this tournament sending Christian their well wishes in their country's native language. And it's honestly like a beautiful piece of media aside from like the whole thing is just very well done. But once you realize what it's about, it just shows you that this is bigger than the game. And today we watched this happen like while we were recording at the 10th minute of this Denmark-Belgium game that's going on right now, they stopped the clock and everyone just applauded. Refs, Belgian players, fans, Danish players. It was a moment to dedicate to Christian because again, in this sport, people realize it is so much more than what goes on between those white lines. And that's something, again, that with everything going on in the NBA playoffs and Twitter and all that, it's night and day. So what do you guys think? We live in obviously the North American sports climate. So we're honestly right now, like I forgot that sports fandom could be this positive and this loving and this heartwarming because every day it's someone on Leafs Nation saying, Corey Perry tried to kill John Tavares on purpose, or it's people saying, yeah, Mark Scheifele committed a clean and defending that. And then we see this, and this is, I think, what sport is really about and 
what made a lot of us fall in love with it in the first place. So I just wanted you guys to weigh in on that. Okay, so I think, first of all, we have to recognize that there's a very different, like, situation in between, like, what happened recently with Mark Shifley or, like, Tom Wilson or Corey Perry, because that was a hit, right? And Christian Erickson collapsed. He, nothing happened in terms of, like, to trigger it. Um, and I think the reaction from fans had something like that happened. Like it's bad enough when it's a hit and someone is stretchered out. Cause you see like everything against Corey Perry, you see people defending Mark Shifley and Tom Wilson. I think had someone had a cardiac arrest on the ice and like had to be brought back while I think that, a lot of fans would be respectful. I also think that there would be like rhetoric on Twitter that was very much like, oh, they deserved it. Or like, if this happened to someone on the Leafs, I would definitely see stuff like being like, oh, they deserved it. Or had this happened to someone on the Habs, it would have been, oh yeah, it's karma for throwing the Leafs out of the playoffs. Like, fans in North America are not classy like that and that's not to like not give attention to the fact that football fans I know Madrid fans can be really really racist but this right here is a prime example of why they're so much better than the fans we have here yeah and you know like Casey said earlier like this is bigger than the sport itself And I think that a lot of the times here, people forget that. And definitely with like the NBA playoffs and, you know, other sports, I've, I've definitely forgotten what it's like to have respectful fans because it just seems like people don't know how to act. And so to see something like this happen, to see how uh, the football fans uh, reacted to this situation, it was definitely like refreshing um, in a way. And, you know, I really hope that, North American fans can take something away from this because this, this did get a lot of attention and uh, hopefully we can start to see like the relationship between fans and the athletes start to change a little bit because over the past year or so, and like even in the past uh, it's, it's definitely gone in a direction that I do not like, and that is not good for, you know, sports in general. So it, it was refreshing to see the way that the world reacted to this one. Yeah, I think it makes me want to, like, start watching soccer. Because, honestly, like, the fan base just seems so healthy and, like, together and classy. And we don't see that very often, like all of you guys said. So, yeah. Um, I Catch me watching the Euro Cup at King Taps. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is, like, this – And I mean, that's not to say that like there aren't rivalries in soccer, but it's a hell of a lot more common that like, okay, the final whistle goes. And instead of like chasing someone down the street and stealing their jersey and throwing it in a trash can, Habs fans were looking at you. Um, You go out for a beer, you go out for a bite to eat, you continue being normal human beings because guess what? 
you're a fa- you have absolutely no bearing on this game and you're there to be people and support each other and like be fr- I'm there's a reason I can be friends with people who support other teams when Karina was like if you don't if Italy's not your team don't speak to me and I said this would be a really quiet podcast it's like yeah it's called fan banter and the way that North American sports have completely gotten away from that is disheartening and disgusting um but anyways moving on more to like wrap up this little euro thing to what does happen between the whistles i want to know if you guys have been watching who has impressed you the most so far and who hasn't looked great okay so since you mentioned it i am going to talk about italy (laughs) um you know like i'm not like i'm not an expert you know soccer fan i'm not familiar with like how teams are but i do hear that their group is a little bit easier so they have beaten twice like three three and oh um which has been really good for me because romania is not in the euro cup so the next best the, the next best thing for me is italy uh so you know i'm doing great I feel like I'm going to hit a point where they're going to lose uh, a game and it's going to be like really bad. Like I have people in my mentions already when I tweeted that, like, if your team is in Italy, then don't talk to me. But I also wanted to talk about the, the Czech Republic and Scotland matchup because I know that everyone was talking about how Scotland looked bad. But like when I was watching it, I just loved how much like hungrier Czech Republic looked. Like they were just always looking to score and it was, they had like a different energy than Scotland and, you know, even the games in general, like I've just been enjoying them. Yeah. I think I made this comment in my little Euro like expressway wrap up. Um, Scotland looked bad because they are like, they're just simply not very good. So like, I feel for the Scottish fans who look in heartbroken when their team is losing to the Czech Republic, but it's like, what did you expect? Like, you're not very good. The fact that you made it here should be a win, but anyway. All right, so just because I'm going to hop on Krina's um, bandwagon, Italy has been doing really good. Also, the fact that Casey's Italian (laughs) just, like, has me there. A lot of my friends are Italian. I think I'm being forced to support Italy. But other than that, Alex Baumgartner, a friend of the pod, is Swiss, so... Um, I'm also being forced to support Switzerland. Go Switzerland. <laughs> Didn't they play each other yesterday? Yeah, and Switzerland yeah, they lost. Dog yeah. shit. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess they I... They were so I, bad. <laughs> I've been, like, watching glimpses of the Euro Cup because I work at this, like, fancy sports bar in the financial district. That's called King Tops. Shout out King Taps. I will be there. Yeah, I'll be there on Saturday. Um, I'll be there on Saturday if anyone wants to come <laughs> say hi. Oh my god, a Ballbusters meet and greet where you only get to meet the dumb one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody showed up for that game. Um, and it's been busy, busy all week, but like people stayed to watch Italy play last night. I mean, yesterday. And usually they don't. Usually they come in for like a little business lunch and then head out. But everybody was there watching Italy. And uh, from the very little knowledge that I have on soccer, um, I would say that Italy is doing good. Um, Okay, so yeah, Dua called me out on this. I am half Italian, but I'm also half English. And that has always been the side that I have an allegiance to when it comes to international football um I'm an England fan that's 
Those are my boys. Do I have any faith in them? Absolutely not. I know better than that. But I will give them a little shout out in terms of they looked shockingly competent in their first game, which is very rare to say of the England team. They always do this really fun thing where they breeze through qualifying. Like they barely try and they win their group. And then they get to these tournaments and they forget how to play the game that they invented. And then they lose to everyone they taught it to, um, which is like really frustrating to watch. But they showed up and showed out and Calvin Phillips had himself a game. He's playing for this teeny tiny team in England called Leeds United. And if you like follow English soccer, you'll be like, who the F are they? And one of their players is like one of England's standouts. So if they can keep this, this momentum rolling, do I think they're going to win the whole thing? Absolutely not. But they, they have a chance to make some noise. Um, In terms of who hasn't looked great, in my opinion, Switzerland please enter the chat. Um, There's no excuse for a team like Switzerland losing to Wales. Absolutely none. Wales committed highway robbery and stole that point. Um, And for, I wrote about this again for the site, but it's very rare that a draw is seen so differently for both sides. So for Wales, getting a point off that Switzerland game is as good as getting a win because no one was giving you a shot. So to go in and like, they, I'm sorry, they didn't deserve the point. They quite simply did not, but they got the point, they stole it. And for Switzerland, those two lost points could very well come back to bite them because if Wales is able to tie Italy and get a point out of that, which if they play the way they did yesterday, they can like very, very easily given that Italy has already qualified uh, for the next round. So they can take it a little bit easier. Um, but if Wales can get a point off Italy, that forces Switzerland to, to like absolutely get a win out of Turkey. And then they're going to need outside help to get through to the round of 16 to, to make it as far as people had predicted them to make. And when you've got the star power, like Shakiri, um, who like leads your attack and everyone else that they've got going there, there was hope for them before this tournament. And they've just, I don't know if they choked. I don't know what's going on, but they have not looked great. My most impressive team so far, though, I mean, I say that as they're losing to Denmark, but Belgium's first game, my God, is that attack horrifying. Uh, so there's them. Also, France, with anyone who has Kylian Mbappe, you're golden because that guy can run as fast as he can in minute one and minute 90. And in a game that's a marathon like soccer, I think that's really going to help the French going forward. And there's a reason that they're picked to, to go far in this tournament. I would love to see a France-Belgium final. I think that would be such a good game and it would be so much fun. But uh, I also have a soft spot for Belgium because Thierry Henry is their coach or is one of their wait coaches. Till and... the, wait till the end of the podcast to hear my take on if Casey thinks her team won't make it till the end, they will, featuring the Montreal Canadiens. With guest appearances by the Montreal Canadiens and the English national football team. Anyways, uh, that wraps up our little Euro segment. I hope you guys had fun listening to us, listening to us talk about something different um, for once. I had fun with that. We'll be doing this until the Euros are over or until the NFL wakes up and does something. Um, on that, I'm going to pass it to our basketball expert, Karina, for some NBA playoff coverage that I know nothing about.
Thanks, Casey. Um, yesterday, so we're recording today on Thursday, yesterday on Wednesday, the NBA decided to just release news after news after news all before 1 p.m., which was like not ideal. I was also, I had my second dose, uh, when was it? Tuesday. So I was dealing with the side effects of the vaccine yesterday. And um, I, big shout out to the Ballbusters. Two out of four of us are fully vaxxed. Vax Girl Summer is coming. Yes. So yeah, there was a lot of information yesterday. So I'm just kind of kind of like break it down in like very simple ways because it was like information overload. So the first thing we're going to start with is that as of today, the NBA has six empty head coach uh, spots, one in Portland, one in Orlando, one in Boston, and then Pelicans, Wizards, and Pacers. All six of these teams do not have a head coach. The word parting of ways is a word that I need to mute because I've seen it too many times now. And one of the biggest things I want to talk about this is that I think it's time to hire a woman um, as a head coach. And I have a list. Um, <laughs> among the list, I have three that I want to highlight. Uh, one is Teresa Weatherspoon. She is currently the assistant coach for the Pelicans. She was a WNBA player. She is awesome. Like if you've seen, you have to go back and watch some of her like motivational uh, interviews that she's done. She's super awesome. And I know she has a good relationship with Zion Williamson, which is an issue that has been because Zion, ever since he came into the league, he's had like a different head coach every year and nothing has seemed to really work. And he's a really talented player and I really hope they aren't wasting his years away. So hopefully maybe she can be someone for them, move up to the head coach spot. And then, of course, we have a name who we've been kind of preaching for like a year now, which is Becky Hammond, who is the assistant coach for the Spurs. She can go anywhere, really. I think a, a Portland fit might be really nice. Uh, but yeah, Portland seems like a good spot for her. I know she was also rumored for the Orlando Magic, but they're kind of a mess. So I don't know how much I want her to go there. And then we also have Dawn Staley, who is the head coach of the University of South Carolina, uh, you probably know her from, you know, March Madness. And she's been rumored in a few head coaching jobs. I'm unsure as to like how willing she would be to leave USC. Uh, so yeah, those are three women on my list that I, I hope get hired soon. I think it's it's about time, like with so many empty head coach spaces right now to make them all men would be an interesting decision. And there's one, there is one man that I do want to talk about, and that is Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, he's had multiple success with the Raptors 905 as the head coach. He's won championships with them. He was an assistant coach for the Raptors and for the Memphis Grizzlies. I think he'd be a great NBA head coach. Uh, he's someone that I definitely, and he's, he's, a, he's a black coach, and we need more of that in the league. And so these are names that like, I really want to see like in the pool because I'm so tired of seeing Jason Kidd being considered for head coach opportunities because that man should not have a job. But I've gotten into a rant about that man too many times. So we will move on to more confusing news from the NBA. One is including Chris Paul. So according to Woj, uh, Chris Paul tested positive for COVID-19. He's out indefinitely, uh, but he said that he may be out for a game or so in of the Western Conference Finals. There was some uncertainty around whether he got vaccinated or not. Like, and I still don't know if he has been vaccinated, but he also tested positive for COVID. So it's a weird situation. This seems like yet again, like another confusing case of protocols from the NBA. Like, I just want to know your thoughts on like how, 
this keeps happening or we have such uncertainty around like health and safety protocols? I don't think there's like a real logical reason. I mean, we've seen them struggle with this from day one of the season, like not really having anything be super straightforward and easy to follow. Um, I feel like part of it is definitely, and like, this is going to sound so bad, but it's the States and COVID and the vaccine and all that stuff is such a contentious topic down there. And I mean, that's not to say that like here it's, it's all well and good, but there's a track record of America being a lot more kind of split and it being a lot more of a polarizing topic for them than it, than it is up here. And I think we're seeing that play out in terms of what qualifies as a health and safety protocol when people are getting pulled, when people are getting their testing positive. And now we see it like with the vaccine, who's getting vaccinated, who's not. So I think that is, is really what it comes down to. I don't think it's right, but here's that's that's my opinion the thing that speaks out a lot to me personally and I think it should to everyone is the fact that here in Canada we started our like vaccination process very very slowly and our rollout was terrible but the fact that we have been vaccinating the larger majority for significantly less time and we have passed the first dose vaccination rate of the states. And I believe we're like high up there in the world says a lot is because they've had an insane amount of vaccines. And before vaccination was even open for everyone, like we have hotspots here in Ontario, before vaccination was open for everyone over 12 or even over 18, in Ontario, anyone in the States could get vaccinated, anyone who wanted to. And then after that, we opened up 18 plus like everywhere. And then after that, we did 12 plus. Like the fact that we, everyone there was able to get vaccinated before we even had 18 plus everywhere getting vaccinated and we still have a higher first dose rate is insane and that really really shows you the outlook of America on vaccination and I think that's really bad and we definitely see it in the sports world we've seen it in the NFL with players being very vocal on Twitter about not getting the vaccine we've seen it in the NBA definitely seen it in the NHL it's part of the problem don't promote vaccine hesitancy you're not just doing it for yourself. You are protecting everyone as a whole. Get vaccinated, please and thank you. Yep, those are all great points. Um, and like you speak about like seeing it in the NBA, the, the Lakers, like LeBron's had hesitancy about the vaccine and Dennis Schroeder and that whole mess. Like it's just been a very weird season in that sense. No, no, no. I think that, was, yeah. that also says a lot. LeBron James is the biggest basketball player right now. If he's hesitant about it, think about how many people he is going to influence to be hesitant about it. That's like, realize the platform you have. That's what frustrates me. It's definitely frustrating. Something else that's frustrating, uh, Kawhi Leonard on the LA Clippers, he has an ACL injury. He's out indefinitely. 
it seems kind of serious. Um, he's always been kind of struggling with leg injuries, but when you hear the word ACL, that's never good. And it, it kind of brought into question, like, are the, what are the Clippers going to do now that they have, you know, one of their star players out and they actually did really well without him last night uh, due to Paul George stepping up and being that guy, which I'll get into a second, but you know, like, how do we feel about Kawhi just like, struggling with leg injuries like it never seems to stop like we haven't seen a healthy Kawhi in like over four years um I think that's that's what hides his his true potential and if he's consistently been struggling with these leg injuries while he was on the Spurs while he was in Toronto and now on the Clippers we haven't seen the full potential of Kawhi and the fact that he's won a championship with while like consistently struggling with that. And we knew he was struggling with that while he was in Toronto too. He was like, like on healthy scratches so much when he was here, it was insane. And I know most of the time it was just resting him, but there has to be a reason for that. And that was that leg injury. And now seeing it on the Clippers, I really hope that he recovers from this. We've seen what consistent injury can do to a player's career. We can see what it does. Derek Rose is a prime example of that. Um, yeah, I just, I hope that before Kawhi gets too old to play and it really starts to have a major impact on his body, which it already is, but before it gets worse, I hope that it can get better because again, bigger than the sport, this is someone's body and their well-being. Yeah. And like, he's only like 29 years old, I think. So he's supposed to be in his prime and uh, it's, it, it does suck to see him like even as a Raptors fan, like even seeing him on another team, it, like, I don't, I don't like that. He's always injured. And I, and I hope that it does get better because it really sucks. Before we move on to round two updates, uh, Duva would like to shout out team Canada basketball at the America. So go ahead. Yes. So, um, I work for Ryerson athletics and our women's basketball head coach, Kelly Clark is an assistant coach for the Team Canada women's basketball team. And currently they are playing at the FIBA Women's America Cup in taking place in San Juan, I think. But they are going to the quarterfinals. The game is today at 310, so Thursday. So by the time this comes out, we will know if they are going to the semifinals or not. I'm very excited for this team. We have seen amazing talent come out of this. And of course, support some Ryerson staff like team um I mean coach Kelly Clark has been amazing with us she's so involved in the Ryerson community I know her um and she's like an amazing human being and an even better coach and I think you should support some team Canada women's basketball that's all for me yeah, I love that. Uh, I love supporting like any kind of Canadian uh, sports teams and athletes. So it's, it's awesome to hear um, and some representation from our university. So that's great. All right. So let's move on to the round two updates. Uh, so I have three updates. We'll start with the Hawks. The Hawks lead the 76ers three to two in what was a very baffling game five last night. The Sixers just keep finding ways to mess it up. They blew a 26-point lead to the Hawks. Uh, Joel Embiid and Seth Curry were the only two players on the Sixers to score a field goal in the second half. 
which is absolutely insane. Like I, I can't understand that for the life of me. And I've been saying this time and time again, if the Sixers want to make any kind of noise in the playoffs, Ben Simmons has to step up and be that big star next to Embiid. And Embiid's been struggling, like he hasn't been struggling, but he's been struggling like physically with the, the his knee injury that we've been talking about, but he's been putting up numbers every single time. And for Ben Simmons to only attempt one shot in that second half and not make it, it's just unacceptable. Like I, I have no words for the Sixers right now. Um, the Hawks continue to be uh, Trey Young and a great supporting cast, and they might just take that game six and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals if the Sixers are just going to continue to have two guys scoring in the second half. Like you can't. You can, this is a team sport. It's not two guys on the floor at the same all the time. Um, do we have any thoughts on the Sixers being disappointing, especially since they were supposed to be a contender this year? I love to see it. And my favorite thing is not to digress into football, which is like our favorite line here, but the fact that someone is blowing a lead to Atlanta and it's not Atlanta blowing a lead is just so funny to me because 28 to three and literally every single game the Atlanta Falcons played last season. And yeah, I mean, I guess good for the city. Like they deserve it. Their soccer team is shit now. I don't follow baseball and their football team can't seem to string together two consecutive games of competent football since they made it to the Super Bowl. But I mean, hey, like go off, I guess. And I think they're going to force Krina to stop being an ice tray hater before the end of these playoffs. You're going to have to transfer your hate to the 76ers who it's almost like they don't want to, like they're trying to lose at this point. Like, there's yeah, no other way you can justify that. My hate between like Ben Simmons and Trey Young is like being like pulled to the, like the most right now. It's it's uh, oh god, I, I can't even. Um, okay, we love Ice yeah. Trey. We love him. Okay, we love him here. Ice trays are welcome. I love to see Philly losing. I love to see Ben Simmons choke. We love it here. I'm not complaining because I don't like them. I don't like them very much at all. One would even say I hate them and hate's a strong word. I hate Philadelphia. Thank you. Next question, please. I love, I love the saltiness. Okay. Next question. Okay. We'll move on to the Clippers. The Clippers are leading the Jazz three to two. And now, like I mentioned before, The Clippers have a star who does know how to step up, unlike Ben Simmons, and that star is Paul George. Uh, George finished the night with uh, 37 points, 16 rebounds, and five assists in 40 minutes. Uh, Back in March, I wrote about two playoff sleepers, and those were the Clippers and the Sixers. I can sleep well at night knowing that I got at least one of them right. Um, And, you know, my Sixers prediction really depended on Ben Simmons, unfortunately, but the Clippers without Kawhi, like, cause we talked about his injury a little bit, but they also have other players like Terrence Mann has been having like a really good series, you know, Paul George being able to step up and be kind of go past all that slander that he got last season. Um, I think it's been really nice to watch. Uh, what do we think? Like, do we have the Clippers taking the series in six games or are the Jazz going to take it to seven? I think we'll see a game seven just because of the Kawhi Leonard injury. Like, I think that, is enough for me to give the Jazz a shot, even with Paul George playing 
like he's playing on another level right now compared to everyone else. And I think anyone that's caught slandering him in the next little bit will be chased off the internet because how can you justify that now? Um, So yeah, I, I'm expecting a game seven. I don't know if I expect the jazz to pull off the upset. I don't think so. Just given the fact that playoff P is possessed right now. Um, But yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited for that one. Can we talk about that nickname though? Like it's such a bad nickname, like playoff P. Embrace it. Like, why did he do that to himself? I just, that's the thing is like, I feel less bad because he did it to himself, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like it's not like someone like stuck him with it. So it's not our fault this time. (laughs) It's not our fault. I love that. All right. Moving on to the last series, which is the Brooklyn Nets against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Nets are also leading three to two. They have a chance to put it away tonight when we're recording June 17. This has been a weird series. Uh, the Nets have been plagued with by injuries and the Bucks seem to be making the same mistakes that they always make. Uh, Kevin Durant had a historic performance in game five. He put up 49 points, 17 rebounds and 10 assists leading the comeback against the Bucks. Harden did return in that game due to the absence of Kyrie Irving, but we were all kind of apprehensive about his hamstring issue. It feels like they kind of forced him to come back. Um, and that that's like an issue that I do want to talk about is that when players are out for a while due to like an injury, so like whether it's like hamstring or, you know, a sprain or whatever it is, and they're kind of on the line of losing a series or, you know, they want to pursue that championship and they kind of force these players to come back when, you know, when they're on the verge of losing, like we saw it happen with Kevin Durant against the, the Raptors in 2019. And then he went down again with his Achilles and the same thing kind of happened with Harden. Like Harden didn't get injured in this game, but he didn't quite look the same. And they kind of forced him to come back since Kyrie was out. I kind of want to get your opinion on that. Like, and ultimately it is like up to like the medical professionals and the players, like how they feel to get back into it. But it, it does feel a lot of the time that they're being rushed back. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think we've talked about this before and the process of coming back from an injury is not just a physical process. It's a very mental process too. And like, we do have like take care of your mental health as much as you take care of your body. And I think players shouldn't be rushed back from injury. Uh, And that's just what it is. I don't think that should be happening Um, because we've seen what that has done. Uh, Like Kevin Durant is prime example, actually being rushed back from an injury during the finals against the Raptors and then end up getting hurt with a season ending injury that's worst case scenario. Stop rushing players back from injury. For the 50th time during this episode, I'm going to say it is just a sport. It is just a game. These are people's lives and their bodies. And this is long-term impacts. Good God. Stop rushing players back from injury. Yeah, I fully agree with you. And you know, I just hope they can all recover properly because the injuries that have been going on in this like condensed season, it's been like the list just feels like it keeps like piling on and on and like it's not stopping. And I and I absolutely like I, I hate it. Um, but the Nets are one game away from handling the Bucks and making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. As Raptors fans, you know, we've been a little salty with the Sixers on this pod uh, today, but how do we feel about the Bucks being on the brink of elimination again? We love it. We love it. We love it. It's so fun. 
that's, that's <laughs> yeah. my incredibly analytical take. Um, I like watching Bucks lose. I like watching the Sixers lose. Honestly, I'll, I like watching anyone from the East that isn't the Raptors lose at this point because they're that's right. That's that's why we're rooting for the Phoenix Suns to take it all. Um, Honestly, and um, how good of an underdog story would that be? Like, just be that would be just because, story. right? Yeah, that would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've been watching the Suns kind of progress throughout the years from being this team that never made the playoffs to like just not doing good, and now this is a huge underdog story, similar to the Montreal Canadian story, which you should stay till the end of the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Just plugging myself right there. Um, I love watching everyone lose. I love watching people lose. Go Phoenix Suns. It's definitely a different feeling when like you have no emotional attachment to a team in the playoffs. Like I feel so much more relaxed watching these games. And I know like a lot of Raptors fans have like, developed emotional attachments to some of the teams that are in the playoffs right now but the way I see it is like our team's not in it so just kind of enjoy whatever basketball comes out of it and that's kind of been my take on this like whole playoffs this year you guys like kind of agree with that I was gonna say it's amazing how much healthier it is to watch a sport when you are not invested in any of the teams playing (laughs) like the fact that and I'm learning this like watching the Canadians play meaningful hockey late in the season like last night, I nearly like hyperventilated multiple times in the final minute alone. So like, I'm kind of jealous who can like sit back and be like, this is just a good entertaining game. Meanwhile, my heart is like, hi, I'm going to leave the room. So yeah, it's it's been a very nice and healthy experience to not be like obsessively checking PSN and um, having like small mental breakdowns if I see this before. Yeah, watching sports is so much fun when you're like, not attached to any of the teams it's like so healthy like you can watch it and then you can turn it off or I can like be like hosting at King Taps and I'll be like seating somebody and watching the game and then I can walk away from it like just as easily (laughs) and it doesn't affect my day like this is more this is so much fun I should start like watching more sports where I don't care about like a specific team (laughs) Can you imagine like working at a restaurant or like a bar during the Raptors championship run being a Raptors fan like I feel like if I ever had a shift like at, at a restaurant or whatever I would never be working I just like, yeah my eyes would just, you'd just be doing shots with everyone that goes like it'd be yeah. like okay let's go next round next round yep. next round yep exactly <laughs> uh all right so if you're listening to this today which is Saturday for you then there is a chance that both the Eastern Conference Finals and the Western Conference Finals matchups have been decided unless we get a game seven um but I'll be back next week to detail those matchups uh and with that uh the basketball segment is done and I'm gonna send it off to Dua for hockey welcome to the NHL segment that I have been boosting for this entire episode. We have significantly less stuff to talk about. Let's start off with the most boring series in the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Lightning versus the Islanders. So this series is tied 1-1 going into game three. Did I expect this? No, but you know what? It's anyone's game at this point. I still think the Lightning are going to push up and make it to the finals, but 
maybe the Islanders will pull something out of their butt and make it happen. Casey Dobson, do you think that the New York Islanders can make magic happen in the city that actually, oh my God, the finals would be while I was in Long Island. So maybe I do want them to make it to the finals. I mean, even if the finals are there while you're there, like, do you have $4,000 to spend on a ticket? Or wait, are tickets like more reasonably priced in the States? Because for shits and giggles, I looked at tickets for uh, Montreal Vegas game three at the Bell Center and I could sit next to God for $2,500 a ticket, which is stupid. But did I consider selling one of my kidneys for it? Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, um, no, I don't think the Islanders can make magic happen when you're playing against a team that has an extra $18 million. Uh, yeah, no, no, I, simply no. Do I, I think they, they surprised everyone by winning that first game, especially in Tampa. I don't think anyone was betting on them to do that. But uh, I, I have zero faith in their ability to win four before they lose four in this series. Okay, so I just got the um, Bleacher Report notification that Rod Brindamore will be staying with the Carolina, Carolina Hurricanes, which I'm quite happy about. I know everyone says that the Hurricanes are the most boring team to watch, but Sebastian Alho, don't sleep on him. I love Brindamore, and I am so happy he's staying. If you all saw that um, little fumble that Kane's Twitter made about Brindamore and him staying or not staying or like saying he'd been officially the head coach for however long, they made a mistake. And the Twitter comments didn't let them forget that they did. So if you have not seen it, scroll back a little, go check it out. We're going to move on really quickly to the more exciting series that is tearing Casey Dobson's world apart right now, the Habs versus the Golden Knights. So the Habs lost game one, 4-1. I thought that was good luck because they beat the Leafs in game one and then ended up winning the series. So I think if we have a little repeat action of history, I'm gonna do my voodoo, I'm gonna stick some pins in a doll or some shit. I want to make sure that the Montreal Canadiens win this series. I need to summon the God and the Holy Spirit and the reincarnation of Jesus Christ himself to make this happen, okay? Like, the Habs, I believe in them so much, and I'm praying Casey doesn't believe in them because that means they'll win. So they won game two, three, two. The series is tied 1-1 right now, just like the uh, Isles and the Lightning. I think going into game three, we are looking at a Habs in six or a Habs in seven situation. I'm praying at six. Casey Dobson doesn't believe in them. Casey Dobson, what are your thoughts? I mean, game one was completely what I expected. The Montreal Canadiens were simply outplayed. And I think that's when you really saw kind of how quickly Vegas plays and how like one of the most impressive things to watch from them is their tape to tape passes that are long breakout passes from their own zone are so on point that it's almost impossible to defend against. And 
when Vegas can come out and set the pace of the game with rolling all four lines with their big boys, like kind of bringing up the back of the rotation and then you've got your stars up front, it's very hard to keep up. But yesterday, yesterday's game, I think what benefited Montreal is yesterday. yesterday's, yesterday's game felt a lot more sleepy and felt a lot like it was still fast paced and it was still intense, but it, there was missing that next level, that like extra gear, which is where Montreal can come in and capitalize because if Vegas is playing in their top gear, you're, you're simply not, you're not going to catch them and you're not going to be able to, to really do anything about it. So if Montreal can kind of keep them at bay the way they did last night, then I could see this series going the distance. But if we see another game like game one, I think that could kind of spell the end. What I really like in both these series is the saying is you're not in trouble till you lose at home. And we've seen both teams with home ice advantage lose one. So really it's it's anyone's game. And I I think that makes for a really exciting semifinal like for the rest of the way, because it would have been quite boring if we saw like both teams going into the opposing team's building up to nothing in a series when, you know, at this point it's one mistake could, could spell your elimination. Exactly. And I think it's that like third period push that the Habs have that they like, they know they're in hot water and they really have to push to get that. And hopefully they can apply that like top gear into the entire game from now if I see anyone on Twitter coming for me or any other Leafs fan that is supporting the Habs right now, go choke on a shrimp. Like, stop. They're Canada's only team left. It does not matter. Even if they weren't, I would still be supporting them. Like, we don't like the Habs, sure. But we're Canadians after all. And that team is made up of either Americans or people who speak French. But anyways... Because I'm going to pull a um, Canadian sport media move right now and I have to talk about the Leafs, Jason Spezza just re-signed with the Leafs. He's getting old. His only goal at this point is to win a Stanley Cup. And I don't know if that's possible with the Leafs. And I don't know if this is a smart move. It's really like Casey's like shaking her head. That's not possible with the Leafs. Um, Leafs fans with no faith. He wants to win a cup. Will he? Probably not. Um, if he stays with the Leafs, but he did say that if he could take less money, he would, which is like insane to me, but also shows how like committed he is to the city of Toronto and to the fans and to this team and organization. I says that, I think that, uh, I think that says a lot about him as a person and his loyalty. And I, I love to see it. That is all. I have personally for hockey wasn't too long of a segment, little bit of a break from the insanely long segments we've been having for the past couple of weeks. Who do you think is going to win these matchups? Who do you think is going to the finals? What do you think is going to happen? Let us know on Twitter, on Instagram, maybe email us. I don't know. We, we do have a ball busters email. So email us um, if you really want to. But with that, I'm going to pass it to Christina for overtime. Thanks, Dua. Okay, overtime. Let's talk about the MLB and the sticky substance gate that we talked about last week because there has been an update. 
Starting Monday, major and minor league umpires will be starting regular checks for the use of foreign substances in pitchers, and they'll be ejected and suspended for 10 games afterwards. If you don't know what we're talking about and you missed last week's episode, foreign substances have been used forever, and even though they are illegal, they're enforcing the rule against them now because we're in a season where the league is at its lowest batting average in over 50 years. But since the owners meeting on June 3rd, when the talk of penalizing pitchers for the use of sticky substances, sticky substances first began, pitchers have stopped using pine tar and spider tack and all the other little tricks they have up their sleeve just out of fear. And since then, the batting average has gone up again from 232 to 238 in only one week. So things are already working. The thing is that pitchers are so mad about this. It's, it's just funny to me because like it was already illegal, but now that they're actually enforcing it, pitchers are coming out and they're upset. Like Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Tyler Glass now um, actually came out with an elbow tear injury uh, <clears throat> the other day. And in a press conference, he blamed it on the use of sticky substances and the fact that he can no longer do that. Like he's admitted to using sunscreen and rosin mashed together to get a better grip on the ball. And he says he's been doing it his whole career, but then he went cold turkey in Washington. Um, and uh, after that game, like he felt a little tightness and he ended up getting an MRI. And then the game after that, he was removed in the fourth inning with an injury. And he says that it's the crackdown on the foreign substances. That is the reason why he messed up his like arm and he's mad because he says that the change is only coming mid season and that like it should have been at the end of the season or at the beginning of the season when they made that adjustment but the MLB doesn't really have to do that like they don't have to really provide any notice or like wait till the season starts or ends because it's already illegal so they shouldn't really be doing it anyway so there's no obligation to notify anybody or go through anything before they start enforcing a rule that's already a rule. I think that it's really embarrassing for you to throw a hissy fit over not being allowed to do something illegal when you're literally a professional baseball player. Like if you can't do the thing you're doing professionally without cheating, get a different job. Like that's, that's what this comes down to. You are paid a stupid amount of money to throw a teeny tiny ball at a man wearing baggy pajamas swinging a wooden stick. If you can't do that without cheating, do something else, like anything else. And I get the frustration of like, oh, what if different umpire crews see sticky substances differently? Okay, fine. We can deal with that, have like a universal sticky substance training in the off season. But the fact that this was illegal and now you're like, no, they should have given us. It's like, no, you had notice when you signed your contract and you saw the rules. Like I, I don't. And it's honestly, it's just such a bad look for all the players and for the league in general that people are throwing hissy fits over something being illegal now being actually enforced that, like I said, I just think it's really embarrassing and it's pathetic and get a different job if you're that mad. I think it's wild, but it's just like it was the fact that it's already illegal and that they're just, they, they look like, like idiots. Like they're making themselves look bad by complaining about it. Now that all that's changed is that they're actually enforcing the rule. It, it's, it just seems like a, like a whole like 
child type situation it, it doesn't make sense to me but but it is like as like an outsider who's like not really a baseball fan like it seems kind of funny yeah wild insane other adjectives see now synonyms of wild i think that's so embarrassing for him imagine throwing a tantrum over something that was illegal being enforced if you can't do your job without cheating sir literally like casey said get a new job because you said you've been doing it your entire career so are you actually good or were you just cheating the entire time like let me know homie analysis 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 commentary 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 joke 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 it's not right and the fact that he's throwing a hissy fit over it is like stupid Trevor Bauer, who's another pitcher, came out and he came out with this video and uh, basically his like, he used rosin, which is legal, and his spit on the ball and he kept it on his hand and it was like causing the same effect as a sticky substance and he was like, well, is this legal or is this not? And I think his point was just that like, like umpires wouldn't really know whether um, it it was rosin and spit that was being used as the like technically legal sticky substance or whether it was like actually foreign substance use and so um there's a little bit of controversy versy about that because then like pitchers are saying well you know umpires can really just throw out whoever they want from the game because like there's no way to like prove it i i don't think that honestly i think like it should be like either everything is allowed or nothing is allowed because then like you get into like a little gray area and uh I don't really know what is gonna happen now that everything is like I'm so excited to see how good like the, our batting is gonna be now that sticky substances are not allowed because the Jays batting up the Jays batting is so good like our lineup is deep um we should be doing way better than we're actually doing and uh, now that sticky substances are not a thing, hopefully that gives us a better uh, leg up in this league. <laughs> let's say like let's say like, let's say like hypothetically the batting averages like don't improve. Do you think mm-hmm. that they would they would go back to how it was before? I don't know because technically I feel like they couldn't because it's already illegal. So if they were suddenly like okay, we're not going to enforce it anymore, but, like, it's still not allowed, but, like, we're not going to enforce it, so you can use it if you want to. Like, that would just be, like, then just, like, allow it. You know what I mean? Um, so I feel like now that they're deciding to enforce it, it, I don't think it'll go back to how it was before. But really, like, we don't know. MLB can do anything they want. Um, so if it we'll- does go back, I think that just, like, makes the league look like an absolute joke. Yeah. Like, honestly, I just yeah. admit that no one's watching your sport anymore. If you're going to like keep flip-flopping back and forth, like admit that nobody cares. Literally. Like, I don't think they would be so desperate as to like do that. Cause that would just be really sad on that note. We'll carry over to like this blue Jays update. Um, even though I really don't want to, because I'm so upset with the blue Jays right now. 
So the Toronto Blue Jays are at 33 wins and 33 losses, just breaking like the 500. And I'm so mad about this because we should not be in this position. Like we're a much better team than we were last year. And they made playoffs last year. And we might not even make playoffs this season at the rate we're going. And it's because of our bullpen and our relief pitchers. So our starters are good. Our batting our batting lineup is like deep. We have players in all, like we have five players in our all-star spots. We have Vladdy Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, and Randall Gritchick. We have Vladdy as the front runner for the MVP race with him like leading the American League in all triple crown categories with a 345 batting average, 56 RBIs, 22 home runs. We have arguably the best player in the MLB right now. And uh, somehow our relief pitchers are fucking it up for us. This is so rough because like Jordan, because Robbie Ray's been good. Like Steven Matz has tested positive on the COVID, uh, for COVID, but like usually he's one of our starters too. Hunjin Ryu, okay, he's been struggling a little bit, but like the point is our starters are good. It's the relief pitchers that need help. And um, Jordan Romano is the only like trusted arm in our bullpen at the moment. They just they just reinstated Patrick Murphy from the injured list. He's a relief pitcher as well. He was good last year, so maybe he'll be good this year. But at the way we're going, like we need a trade yesterday and I just can't watch this team anymore. It just breaks my heart because I look at the screen and it's the it's like the last few innings that like arguably should just be insurance runs coming in that are not happening because the bullpen is like not doing their job. Um, See next, my life experiences being a Leafs fan. Yeah. Like, it's just hard right now, um, but... That's Toronto sports for you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just not... It's not the city's year. It could be. Maybe it's not the city, period. It's just not the city. It's not the city's year. God ever. hates Toronto. God hates Toronto. That is what it is. And I'm sorry if you disagree, but I, I will fight you and I'll die on this hill. Okay. That's the episode title, God Hates Toronto. And you know, we're, we're saying this on, it's a two-year anniversary of the Raptors championship. <laughs> God still what's hates Toronto. These two years? What's, what's happened in these two years? Kawhi left, Serge left, Mark left. Kyrie the team has to move cut, to Tampa. Right? Like, the team moved to Tampa, and then we, like, became the tampa raptors or whatever they were calling gross didn't make the playoffs have been arguably unarguably i will die on this hill trash the leafs with their huge upset losing to the montreal canadians which i mean go halves because they're doing amazing but like god hates toronto i tweeted it ages ago still relevant god hates toronto please and thank you I will not be accepting, that's the word. Any further questions? Please continue. Well, this podcast has taken a depressing turn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, the Blue Jays aren't even in Toronto right now. They're in Buffalo. Um, That's the only good thing, really. Like, 
about this whole thing. Is, is it though? Like Buffalo, we just lost all our teams. The Buffalo Bills and the Blue Jays are like having a little friendship going on on social media. And that is the one thing like keeping me alive right now. Didn't he oh. won first yeah. pitch? I know today, Thursday, as we're recording. But yeah, so we'll like see what happens. Springer, Springer is coming back soon, though. He's been he's played like two games in AAA Buffalo uh, as like center field and designated hitter. Do is like putting on her Springer jersey. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll see him like this weekend. I mean, that's not gonna fix our bullpen problem, but we'll just. I don't know. I don't know at this point. Like, we'll just see what happens. Hopefully Maybe we should sign him. Maybe we should add him to the bullpen. Maybe a football player can do this better. Maybe. Maybe Josh Allen should just hop on. Um, I just want to say, like, the progression of Christina's emotions surrounding the Blue Jays, like, throughout this podcast, like, when we've been doing it, like, you started out, like, so, like, happy and, know. you know, and it's just getting, like, worse and worse every <laughs> week. Yeah, maybe we'll turn it around. Like, me having to, like, choke on my words because the Leafs were the Leafs. And, good God, I hate it here. I quit. Yeah, and on that note, um, that sums up overtime. I'll send it back to whoever to finish off the pod today. So what have we learned today? God hates Toronto, do a quit, and North American fans suck. Anyways, we'll see you next week. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.